We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. And coming this July to Film Movement Plus are a dozen new films, including an Olympic salute to the Summer Games featuring the powerful sports documentary Over the Limit, the boxing documentary Hands of God, which follows the Iraqi national boxing team and executive produced by Oscar winner Alfonso Coron, and Koza, Goat, a Slovakian drama starring former Olympians, as well as Roman Bondarchuk's Volcano, Nanny Moretti's Khan Award winner Caro Diario, Kathy Yon's feature film debut Dead Pigs, and the North American premiere of the campy film within a film, Holy Beast, starring Geraldine Chapman and Udo Kier. All of these will be debuting over the course of July on Film Movement Plus. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Well, today I am welcoming back one of my dear mates, as he would say, Mr. <laughs> Blake Howard, a podcaster extraordinaire and the man behind One Heat Minute and One Heat Minute Productions. Recent acclaimed podcasts you can find from Blake include All the President's Minutes, Josie and the Podcasts, Increment Vice, hosted by our good friend Travis Woods, hi Travis, and the new Zodiac Chronicle. Additionally, he's a very insightful film writer and has recently launched a cool column on heist films for Vague Visages. Couple this with the fact that he's a devoted husband and father of two adorable young children and is also going back to school to be a teacher. And he's one of the busiest and hardest working men I know, and also one of the nicest. Blake, thank you so much for being here once again. We chat all the time in Movie Club, but it's been too long since we did this, so I really appreciate it. How are you doing? How's summer in the States or winter in Sydney treating you so far? Hey, Jen. Look, thank you so much for that beautiful intro. Um, firstly, how am I doing? I'm doing good. I'm real like I'm really pushing uh, my concept of busy <laughs> recently, um, <laughs> studying again and, and getting back into it. And, um, yeah, like you're one of the first shows I'm really like actively talked about studying to be a teacher again. Um, it's going brilliantly and it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. Um, winter in Sydney has been brilliant, except now we're 
back in lockdown again. Um, but that's yeah. okay because uh, I have like a self-imposed lockdown in my little office studio, which you can see me in now. Um, most of the time when I have free time because I'm producing things. So no, going well, family's healthy, no arguments there. Um, but really, uh, yeah, just really would wish that old Rona uh, would get under control in Australia so we could have some consistency because it started to feel like life is getting back to normal, but it's kind of like shifting back to like March last year vibes. So it's not, it's not cool, but yeah, I, I honestly, I have my health. My family has their health. I have nothing to complain about. So, um, I'm just so thrilled to be back. I love the love, love, love this show. And, um, I'm just super excited. The movies we're getting to talk about today. Oh, me too. Well, I've been really excited listening to you talk about uh, going back to school and some of the lesson plans. Blake was doing <laughs> some in-school teaching recently, and he even used some of his massive film knowledge and love of the movie Heat in some of his lesson plans. Do you want to tell anybody listening what you well, what you taught well, people? Well, impressionable well, minds. It- well, young impressionable minds. It was a Friday afternoon. A music teacher was sick. I was with my supervising teacher, who was really brilliant and insightful and just like a master. But it was an unexpected class for him to pick up because he's a senior in the school that I was learning at, and and so he was just meant to sort of babysit a class and run a, a rote lesson plan, like a scripted lesson plan from another teacher. Um, so we walk over to this movie. Uh, we walk over to this music class rather, and he's like, "Oh, so I said, what's the lesson plan?" He's like, "Oh, I'm so flat out. I've got." this stuff to do and I go what what is it like what is it and he goes oh it's music use in movies and I just looked at him and I'm like I've got this yeah and I just threw out that teacher's lesson plan no offense to them but I just went through and um gave the kids a bunch of examples of you know sort of uh you know different uses of music and um and uh, that was my favorite. So I just basically, you know, in, in one class, you know, use Scott Pilgrim, use Goodfellas mm-hmm. and used Heat uh, as as my examples in the class. And what I've been doing in every single one of my classes for senior students, so year 11 in Australia, I think it's like one of the last years in high school mm-hmm. um, in society and culture that every single lesson has started with a, with a clip. So uh, films like Network, uh, Selma, uh I'm not your Negro. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, if I can influence young minds um, on cinema yeah. in whatever I'm teaching, I think that that's uh, that's that's going to be fun. So I've really enjoyed, I've enjoyed being back in the class. Kids are as real as it gets, and and I've been working in Western Sydney, where you know you're not talking about um, you're not talking about like wealthy kids. You're talking about like working class families and really diverse ethnic backgrounds. Like the school I was working at had like 70 ethnicities represented uh, in the school. Um, so it was firstly amazing. They're amazing. And it's just, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been really loving it. It's, um, it's a, it's different walk of life from my past career, like fast day job sort of careers. And so it's been really in, in, inspirational and cool. And, uh, and yeah, just seeing what captures their imagination, um, and, and that's, that's kind of, it's, it's helping me. I think it's helping me like gauge, um, powerful moments in cinema, because if you, you know, if you, you know, when cream's playing and there's a slow push in slow motion yes. frame rate into De Niro's face, our boy, Bobby, yeah. um, our boy, Bobby's face, um, and a whole class of year eight students are like captivated. It's like, oh, yeah. there's there's something special, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been really cool. So that was like, they're my highlights, I think of, of about a month, um, sort of in class teaching and really like getting my feet on the ground. So it's been really brilliant. Very cool. You can gauge how to captivate an audience by 
seeing them be captivated by some of the best scenes in movies. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. even though I'm privy to some of the cool things you're working on behind the scenes for the future, and let me just say they all sound awesome, I'm <laughs> always inspired and blown away by every new thing you drop, whether that's podcasts or your film writing. Since you know your timeline best and amazingly can keep it all straight when you do so much, are there any either recent works or new upcoming releases you would like to tell everyone to be on the lookout for? Yeah, look, um, Zodiac Chronicle is really going to hit its stride. I've been kind of slow on the uptake with that, not because of uh, a lack of content, just because of the lack of time. Um, yeah. part, of, part of some of the stuff that I talked to Jen about, and this is anyone with kind of any project, is I'm a really uh, voracious planner at mm -hmm. the beginning of a project, which has helped me look like I'm not look like I'm busier than I am, but absolutely helps because like with Zodiac so far, Zodiac Chronicle, I've had more than 50 interviews that are already completed for the wow. show and not all of them, or even some of them haven't even been touched yet as far as what's appearing in the episodes. And it's, it's then, you know, scripting the episodes and pulling them together. So Zodiac Chronicles got like four episodes that are in the can. Um, basically now some real bangers, including John Carroll Lynch coming on the show and Manola Dargis. Um, and you know, they are two, you know, Manola was the very first interview I did for Zodiac Chronicle. So that is, I'm excited to get into They're The next four episodes are coming up right as we get introduced to Arthur Lee Allen. Mm -hmm. in Finch's 2007 Zodiac. But I have a couple of others. Like I'm, I'm really excited. I, I have one that I really want to talk about, but it's, it's kind of been, it's been really hard because <laughs> it's been, it's been in the inbox of like a film manager of a very big star. Oh yeah. And, I and, I, and this one's just been sitting there like a time bomb and, and it, I, I think I'm going to have to pivot to something else, but suffice to say, um, I'm excited about the art of the score at Vague Visages. I really love Quinn, who's the editor there, QV mm -hmm. Haug. Um, I love him. He's a great dude. Um, my film club, which includes Jen, um, I've been my great sounding boards for the greatest heist movies of all time. So I'm really proud of that. It's a monthly um, piece that I'm a feature column that I'm doing there because I just, you know, I think my, my advice to anyone is if you can write or produce things about things that you love, um, your passion kind of, you don't have to stoke your passion to do it. And I know that sometimes there's a lot of people out there who do creative pursuits and they have to kind of like, they're on the clock about writing about things yeah. all the time that maybe they don't want to. And I, I, I kind of, that is how I choose my time. I, I say, I don't want to do anything that doesn't excite me, that doesn't inspire me, that doesn't move me. And so it's very easy for me because there are, you know, I'm a repeat film watcher, as you know, Jen, and I, mm -hmm. I find myself diving into these things and just like watching them and studying them and, and studying how things impact me. So yeah, out of the score. Um, and hopefully by the end of the fourth episode of the upcoming Zodiac. So we're, we're going to be, we're at episode eight now and in a very quick succession, the next four episodes coming. So we'll be halfway through the series. I'm hoping to announce the next, the first of the next projects, but there's actually two on the boil. I'm just waiting for a couple of them to give me some confirmations about interviews yeah. with certain key people. And then as soon as they happen, <laughs> I'll announce them. But at the moment I've been telling Jen offline and be like, God damn it. I, I want to share this, but I, I kind of yeah. can't at the moment. So out of the score Zodiac Chronicle and um, in Oz really pushing a physical media show. That's part of one heat productions called a serious disc agreement or imprint films. Cause we do it for imprint in their own feed. And, and on our show as a, as a serious disc agreement, just, you know, cataloging, 
cataloging some really great both independent and huge um, uh, producers of uh, physical media. Uh, that's that's what I'm really focused on right now is kind of like tempering these long form uh, deep dive interview, heavily edited things with some sort of good conversations about great movies that are getting good physical media releases. That is wonderful advice. I know I'm going to kind of like send some vibes out into the universe that blah, 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 will get back to you because it would be awesome. And Blake is very passionate about blah, blah, blah. So, um, yes. So I'm rooting for you. You know that. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. And I really agree with what you said about trying to make your work your passion or your passion your work because then it doesn't feel I mean it still feels like work you are working but at least it's better than oh my god I need to write this um, you know I have to turn this press release into a news article or I've been doing this for like 15 years at this point and it kind of got to the point of after 2500 pieces I'm like gosh I am not going to write any more stuff unless I'm really interested in what it is I'm writing about because I kind of burned myself out, which, um, yeah, I've talked to Walter Chaw about, (laughs) I don't know how he, he's another one of those people who's burned the candle at both ends and yeah, you Walter. Yeah. You guys Walter, give me great advice all the time. Well, Walter's an inspiration to me too. And I think it's like, there's so many great people that are out there that are doing it. And there are so many others that can, you know, there's some of the ones off the top of my head. I think of, you know, Chris Evangelista and Roxana Haddadi mm-hmm. and those guys who seemingly are able to balance yeah. what is, they're really passionate about with what they write, Jason Bailey's and things like that. Those guys, I look at them and I'm like, if I can just continue to lean into the things that I love, that's where my yeah. voice is, you know, like me mm-hmm. talking about stuff that I don't care about. Like I, no offense, you know, I, I don't want this to be the conversation of this, but it's like, I don't, I couldn't give less of a shit about a Marvel release or a Disney release no. right now. Like I just mm-hmm. don't care. Like I have no, no <laughs> desire to talk about it. I have no desire to write about it. I have no desire to even respond about it. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where you just go like, what, what is me? What is, what is enduring? What's out there? And, and I feel like there's that great test of, you know, like really true, truly great art. Like Anthony Lane used to say, is like, I'm going to write about a movie on the day that it opens or 10 years after it's released. Yeah, You know, that was his old adage. And I'm like, I feel like I'm much more in the, I'm not going to be the day that opens guy. I'm going to be the 10 years after guy. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Definitely. So you heard it here first. Blake is going to do a deep dive on Marvel and Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Never. No, no, no. You don't have to worry about that. When you hear that, you're going to know you're following like a, fake Blake Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone is, someone is, someone is doing that, um, that face technology where they digitally take my face and voice and and put it into a deep dive podcast. I know. Or one of those prompts, like, you know, you're kidnapped and you can sleep one thing. Usually mine is, you know, like, I don't get why De Niro, he doesn't sleep all the time. Yeah. So Blake would be like, I love Marvel. (laughs) The the, the one will be is just like, if I say that heat is overrated and the dark night's better, you know that it's all over. It's it's, I'm done. I've been kidnapped. (laughs) Yes. Please send help at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Basically that means that, you know, I have, bothered blah 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 <laughs> enough to like get back to Blake and now he's been kidnapped. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. 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 No. Well at least if I'm kidnapped, hopefully I can do an interview. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. an opportunist, Jen. So if I can exactly. if I can get an interview while being kidnapped, I'll do that. 
Absolutely. Well, because you're so good at coming up with new show ideas, you're also amazing at naming things. I knew you would deliver a killer theme idea for this episode, and you certainly did. With the Irish mob on film, as represented in Miller's Crossing, Road to Perdition, and The Departed. And I'm sure a variety of other films we might reference throughout as well. As a noted devotee of mob movies and books, I've mostly focused on the Italian mafia here in America. So I dug this idea of coming at it from a new angle in movies that I still love and cherish. Before we go more in depth into the films one by one, what is it about this topic and especially mob movies in general that you find so compelling, do you think? Uh, it's... Firstly, for the Irish mob as opposed to the Italian mob or to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Asian mob cinema specifically or even London, like you've kind of got yeah. the kind of Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie thing. It's mm -hmm. um, the mob stories have great like ethnospecificity, like specificity rather. It's it's just like once you take, you can you can really pick up these sort of archetypal structures and like plonk them into and, and then like flesh out where their ethno differences are. And it's really great rendering of like, I guess the values of a society. So you look underneath and you can see what their morality values are. You can see what their religious backgrounds are. You can see their traditions. And so I really love that mobster films, you know, you look at the greatest, you know, probably the greatest mobster film ever being the Godfather. It's like mm -hmm. the beginning of that movie is just a big, awesome wedding that I want to yeah. go to and I want to eat at. And it's yes. just like their traditions and their customs are so infused with the genre that it always becomes a great people watching fascination. Um, even if you've got like a real sociological brain, you know, you can just look at it and be like, wow, this is really incredible. But I also love it because there's just something so deeply human about a, a deeply human. And I mean that deeply human in the sense of flawed in the, the structures and the codes that these people follow or don't follow. And it's usually, you know, everyone who's listening and knows any of my work and is my favorite film of all time is heat. It's like you have a code and Neil McCauley's code is so, you know, you drop everything. And if you mm -hmm. spot the heat coming around the corner and the fascinating parts of that film and the brilliance of Robert De Niro's performance and the structure of Michael Mann's writing and um, the inspiration from Charlie Adamson's story about the real Neil McCauley is this guy who has such a rich code will sometimes not follow their code or the impulse is to go against their code or to push it to the limit over the line so that you end up preaching something that you don't actually follow. And so for yeah. me, that's what I love about these kinds of movies. It's because you preach something and then you act completely mm -hmm. in opposition to it. You're like you become the oppositional force of all the things that you preach. So that's what I love about the Irish mob movies, because I feel like, especially in some of the more contemporary settings, and we'll talk about, uh, you know, the departed, but it's like the challenge becomes how these characters have to go against all of their impulses and all their codes and fight against it. And that's usually where we arrive. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I love these movies because it feels like although family is important, sometimes it's less important in some of these Irish ethno specific, uh, you know, mob movies and, or, or it's like their concepts of family are different and changing due to the fact of their makeup and where they're from yeah. and how they've gotten to the country. So I love the family dynamics changing. I love people going against their codes. And I think I, I, I 
or, or at least posturing that they're doing one thing and or not. And we'll really get into that with the departed, but I just love, I love that. And I love how that, that shakes down in, in what we're watching in all three of these movies. Very much. It's kind of that old thing of do as I say, not as I do, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, for both the Irish and Italian goes back to Catholicism <laughs> and like, yes. yeah, the need to follow the quote unquote good book. And like, these are the rules that, you know, you need to follow. And of course, you know, it's like, nobody's going to follow them, but <laughs> no. no, absolutely. I also love that a lot of times, especially in these three movies, there's a lot of father-son dynamics that goes back to, you know, biblical stuff too, father and yes. son. And that really plays a part in all three of these films. So you've got the family dynamic. Of course, that also is in the Italian ones. So, I mean, yeah, the mafia stories, they're all great, but I really love this idea of approaching them from this angle. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, I don't know if every family has this story. I'm an Irish background, half Maltese, half Irish. If you don't know where Malta is, it's off the southern coast of Italy. Um, and it's like if Sicilians mated with Lebanese people um, and, <laughs> and that's, you know, kind of crazy bastardized language that kind of they are. It's a famous British port. And the other side of my family is Irish. And there are family, family stories that I've stumbled upon where I probably shouldn't have as a young kid where like my my grandfather's brothers used to go and collect money for their dad with a baseball bat in Sydney mm -hmm. um, and those sorts of things. So there's just, uh, there's certain elements that, you know, when you look at these people, even though they're doing really bad things, you recognize them. There's a familiarity. Yeah. And so that's what I also kind of um, am drawn to. And it's also in the Italian, the Italian mob films too. It's like that in amongst all of the violence and the chaos and the heightened stakes, you see really relatable people, you know, you know, leave the gun, take the cannoli kind of approach to <laughs> yeah. everything. So the, yeah, that's why I really love, I really love all of these films. Perfect. Well, before we begin, I should warn listeners as always that this conversation will likely involve a lot of spoilers. I mean, how could it not? So if you haven't seen Miller's Crossing, Road to Perdition, or The Departed, you should absolutely do that before you listen to the rest of today's episode. We'll go chronologically through these today, although obviously we'll probably reference Jump Ahead or Backtrack when talking because these three films complement each other very well. But beginning in that epic year of American mob movies of Goodfellas and The Godfather Part Three, we have Miller's Crossing from 1990, which honestly jockeys back and forth with No Country for Old Men as my favorite film from the Coen brothers, as densely plotted and amusingly convoluted as a Dashiell Hammett novel. And this one was inspired by, as critics have noted, The Glass Key and Red Harvest. Miller's Crossing centers on a power struggle that plays out between the Irish and the Italian mob during the Prohibition. Set in an unnamed U.S. city, the film follows Tom Gabriel Burns, hopeless gambler and the right-hand man for Albert Finney's Irish mob boss, Leo O'Bannon, who holds the city in his sway. After the actions of thieving bookie Bernie Birnbaum, played by John Turturro, the brother of Leo's girlfriend, and Tom's secret lover, Marcia Gay Harden, threatened to topple the understanding between the Irish and the Italians who coexist there, Tom finds himself caught in the middle. He tries to not only stay alive, but also thrive long enough to play both sides against each other. 
with frequent Cohen Brothers trademarks of visual and auditory repetition and symmetry, an epic shootout set to Danny Boy, and an amazing cast. This film is a complex marvel that still confuses and delights me no matter how many times I've seen it. So how about you, Blake? Where does this one fall on your Cohen list? Oh, the Cohen list is impossible. It really um, is. I think uh, it's so impossible. I, I think my two favorite Coen Brothers movies for totally different reasons are No Country for Old Men and The Big Lebowski. Okay. Uh, and No Country for Old Men, I mean, you know, Jen, I've got a yeah. tattoo of Anton Chigurh yeah. on my body. Um, I think I don't, I honestly do not think that there is a single frame of No Country for Old Men that isn't perfect. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's a completely perfect movie in every way. Um, and, and I love how you said symmetry and repeated dialogue because the joy for me with the big Bowski is that so much it's repetition and so yes. much of it's repeated dialogue and so much of the dude is just parroting things that he's heard and using them in different contexts. And it's just this absolutely glorious, you know, it's, it's taking something that they've, you know, obviously fleshed out and flexed with something like Miller's crossing and taking it to the most ludicrous degree. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're both my phase, but, but very, very close, like in the absolute traffic jam and collision at third would probably be Miller's Crossing. It's mm-hmm. it's just such a confident, it's just such a confident and competent movie that is really still, I really like Barry Sonnenfeld as a filmmaker, but particularly him as a cinematographer yes. um, who shoots this movie with glorious wide angled lens in blistering clarity and just puts everything, you know, although it, it, it does have, you know, these great mobster, you know, Dutch angles at certain point and, mm-hmm. you know, there's light and shadow in a lot of scenes. There's just, despite the fact that people are posturing, you know, that famous poster of Tatura with his hands up, you know, begging yes. for his life um, to Gabriel Byrne's character. There's, there's something about the wide angle lenses and was intentional to sort of stage and, and put everyone on an even keel. So you're focusing on, you're giving everyone equal play in the frame basically. Mm-hmm. So I just, the, you know, from the second one of hearing that score, it's just out of control. This movie, it is just so, sensational and these guys like fall over and have a masterpiece and so i just i'm just (laughs) blown away by this movie every time i watch it too for all those reasons yeah it is gorgeous film there's that opening that kind of i love how it sort of nods or winks a little bit at mob movies of the past so you have this opening sequence that does sort of reflect the godfather you know Mm. like there's a bargaining going on and you see the boss at the at the desk and then is the real power him or is it the guy next to him whispering so i love that i think also um just some of the gorgeous frames outside in the woods like we don't know where this takes place exactly I am from Minnesota originally, and so are the Coen brothers. So, like, part of me is thinking, oh, was that supposed to be, you know, Minneapolis and these gangsters? And growing up, one of my favorite books was called um, John Dillinger Slept Here uh, because it had, like, the map. And it also involved Chicago, of like, where everybody stayed. And I thought, oh, so I wondered when I first saw this movie, because it's the same era, I was wondering what influenced, you know, uh, the Coens. But I just love that they used, it was shot in New Orleans and they used the beauty of it so well. Those scenes in the woods kind of make you think a little bit of Melville. I mean, there's just a lot going on in this one. There's, it's, it's so much going on. And this time I watched it and 
Marsha Gay Harden's Verna is uh, just yes. worth a worth a rumpus, I think is uh, yeah. what I posted when I was watching <laughs> it. I I found this such more of a tragic love story it this is. time around with yeah. Tom Regan loving Verna and almost being kind of too loyal but also self a self saboteur to sort of do whatever he could to find his way to make you know to realize their love and and to do it with freedom and so when that doesn't happen it's this incredible you know it's this incredible like cat not cat and mouse but cats and mouse tale where he's just like precariously dancing from one powerhouse person that he can you know parasitically attach himself to um mm-hmm. to sort of stay alive to hopefully make this happen despite all of the challenges and all the roadblocks that are put up in front of it um and i just think that you know i think i think christopher macquarie describes Gabriel Byrne after working with him Unusual Suspects as like the most effortlessly complex actor he's ever seen in front of mm-hmm. a camera. And I think that ju- he's just sensational. Like Gabriel Byrne, this is like his his career best. It's so sensational. And just watching him dance around these characters is just so joyful. And, you know, Leo's got a massive ego. Um, uh, Taturo's uh, Bernie, uh, Bernie Birnbaum, Werner's brother is just, he's, he's also like, again, drastically overestimated his power and influence in these situations. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just watching them and, and watching um, uh, John Polito's uh, Johnny Casper and, and, and how he has to dance around that. It's just, I, I, I literally can't get enough of the dance of this movie movie and the reusing of shots and the way that Gabrielle Byrne's character interacts with the cops when they're, you know, g- going from uh, oh, mob God. boss to mob bosses, you know, a, a bars and joints to sort of, uh, you know, to, to, to assault people. It's just, uh, I, I, I can't get enough. Yeah. No, you are absolutely right on this <laughs> one. My goodness. And the speed of the dialogue, like I was just, when I was watching this, I have no idea. There's early on when we first see Steve Buscemi and he comes um, at this club where he interacts with Gabriel Byrne, the speed of his dialogue. And he's saying like pages of pages or just lines and lines. <laughs> and it goes so fast. Like I had to rewind that scene a couple of times, like once out of like, what the hell did he say? But then also just out of amusement, there's a musicality. And there's just a musicality with the repetition. That's also the Coen brothers. That's kind of the joy to the ear. And I think that's why Gabriel Byrne is so good for this because of his natural Irish accent. And he does have a musical way of speaking. I had heard this was supposed to be John Lurie's part. And yes. then um, or then it was uh, Gabriel Byrne's. And I would have loved to have seen what John did in the role, of course, uh, because I'm a big fan. But Gabriel Byrne is so good. I love that they let him use his natural accent and then encouraged, you know, Finney to use an Irish accent and like just everybody sounds a little bit more authentic. I think that way. And it's- yeah, that, that that's what I, I, you know, 
that's also like the joy, like just to skip ahead to the departed. That's the kind of joy of all of these is these are Irish Americans, right? Like for the, for the most part, the people who've been in the country for a few years. Mm-hmm. And so they've, they've been raised and you kind of lose your accent because, yeah. you know, even for your first or second generation, you start to lose your accent because everyone you interact with talks like an American yes. as opposed to an Irishman. So what's good is like the generational understanding there. So like in the, the departed, uh, Scorsese doesn't make Jack at all. Uh, you know, do an accent. He's just no. like occasionally Jack will like, you know, will regress into a into an Irish accent when he's singing a song or whatever. But that's what I like about the mixture because you can see that that there's truly kind of like this immigrant mentality of like there are mm-hmm. still fresh off the boat Irish yeah. people that are migrating in and becoming ingratiating themselves into this society through these gangs and connections there because that's you know that's how they remain together but also close themselves off from the threats that are outside their community and so yeah I I just love him as that and also the Coens have this great way of getting extremely laconic punchy characters that are that can say these I don't know they're like surgeon level lines that move things forward Mm -hmm. just yeah the precision is there and compare that with like hey Steve, we've got eight pages of dialogue for you. He's like, great, I'll be in this movie for like an hour. And they're like, no, actually, you'll be in it for 35 seconds. We want you to speed it up. And and he's just gone, right? And so I I love that in these different scenes. And also in the Italian, and this is hierarchically what I love, and you see it kind of shift and, and, and ebb and flow through these things. The great, the great Godfather scenes of like when Sonny interrupts Mm -hmm. dad like are you telling me what you're and he's having that chat yeah and and he goes don't ever let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking thinking. and in this scene like tom is like tom rips into his boss which is kind of like if you're talking about a direct contrast it's crazy and then later in road to perdition in road to perdition like paul newman's character has that conference around the table with all of his peers and he's going back and forth with his son and smashing his hand on the table and it's like Mm -hmm. it just feels like that more openness and community inclusion and sort of idea of family and power structures adhering to a hierarchy. It's, it's almost less insular than the Italian mafia, but it, but, but it, but that kind of chorus of people, it's even more delicately balanced on the power of the person at the head of the table. Cause if they start to be in question, then the power balance goes all out. And then it's like, who's going to, who's going to be the top dog here. And so that's what I love about this is that the whole idea of Albert Finney's Leo, even though he is the strongest and does have the influence, is so reliant on Tom's intuition and seeing the field and seeing all the moves um, that that's that's the play. And like you, you, what's cool is we are quickly dissuaded that Tom actually knows all the moves more yeah, that he's intuitive. <laughs> he doesn't know yeah. it. He's just intuitively like, shit, I got to do this. And in every moment he's, he's seeing the best. He's gambling. He's yep. just a gambler. And and mm-hmm. that's what I love about this movie too. It's like Leo, the guy who's running the whole town, is backing a guy who cannot win a bet to save his no. life. No. I know. <laughs> this guy should not be making decisions. Absolutely. No. But but he's pretty good. He's very yes. good. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out because, you know, in these movies, it's the tapestry of people Jay Freeman plays Eddie Dane, the Dane in this movie, and he's oh just oh my god, he's amazing, wonderful, yeah. wonderfully menacing, has a real great quality and confidence, and this is actually the guy 
that maybe you want to have behind you whispering in your ear because he's ruthless. Yes. He he's and he's he's dedicated and he will literally follow people to make sure that the angles are there. And it's just so funny that Gabrielle Burns charm and lilt is maybe a little bit more alluring and a little bit more, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just this kind of honey. You get more flies yeah. with um, honey than vinegar sort of deal. Um, but, yeah, I just I, – I watched this again and saw, saw J.E. Freeman for, oh, I don't know, the umpteenth time I've watched this movie, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, he is so great in this. It's it's, it's really special. Yeah, I think Byrne just has that um, projection of he's handsome, he's charismatic, and the Dane is – probably, you know, smarter than all of them, but just absolutely terrifying. Like of all the people in this movie, he is the one where you're pretty sure like he would fuck you up. I mean, this guy is just scary. And the other thing um, that I love about not just this movie, but all of the Coen brother movies is they deal with the concept of the other or otherness or feeling outside from a community very well. Like in this movie, everybody hates everybody. The Italians hate the Irish, the Irish hate the Italians, you know, they, yeah. Who hates the Italians and the Irish hate the cops. Yeah. And then um, Bernie Birnbaum is Jewish. So we hear, you know, all kinds of phrases, which I mean, the Coen brothers in um, Minneapolis, you you know, they probably had some experiences of course. And so, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. And this is used, I mean, we see it in Fargo, but in Fargo, they kind of go the other way. And so then makes you aware of maybe the systemic racism, like when you're watching um, the Asian character meet with um, Francis McDormand, and he is speaking just like her. And it's, so then it's like, nope, they're all Minnesotan here. And I, I love that. So there's kind of, they know when to flip it. And they know when to um, focus on the other and our prejudices. And I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I love that there's absolutely no qualms that the cops are bought and paid for. Like, I just love, I just like, I love that. And that feeds into the parted and obviously little touches in Road to Perdition, but not as much because the the police are the other and doing things on the underground is so much more pronounced. But, um, I just love that the cops are bought and paid for and like yeah. he'll, he'll just walk out of a, you know, Gabriel Burns stumble out of a place holding a bottle of whiskey that is contraband and talk to the chief of police and, and yeah. tell him to shut up because there's plenty of guys in here that wouldn't mind being the chief of police. And it's just like in yeah. these moments that of perceived vulnerability, like the swagger to come out and just have that chat. It's like, wow, that's actually insane. They're just literally bought and paid for by these forces. And if, if, mm-hmm. if, if there's a powerful enough force, they're all in their pocket. It's not one bad cop. It's like, no, they're just like the guys who you can hire to beat up people yeah. and harass them. And, and I also like the Coens do it with a big grin, but mm-hmm. it's nonetheless extremely cynical and satirical. Yeah. It's so, it's so great. It's wonderful. Yeah, when I was um, posting that I was watching it recently, somebody replied that the movie is as funny as it is frightening. And I thought that was, yeah, yeah a perfect description for it. Perfect. Absolutely yeah. perfect. And and also there's, um, in this film, like, even though, and this is the great thing about Albert Finney's Leo, there's that great scene where his home is invaded um, by Casper's man. Perfect and he, scene. Yeah. Perfect. He's still an artist with a Thompson, the old man. Uh, and yeah. he, and he runs and like goes out the window. He has little grips on his window to, to facilitate the escape, which is just, again, a beautiful touch yeah. and also perfect. Um, but you know, he's at, it takes a long time for you to realize that 
Johnny Casper has the impulse for extreme violence. And Leo, you kind of get it really early. And it's really funny that in a movie riddled with these like kind of bad guys, um, that the extremity of the violence is like really like reserved for certain people. It's not, it's not as, you know, it's not as, it doesn't permeate the whole crew. A lot of people just Mm want to beat people up or whatever. But, um, but yeah, like that, that whole, like the police battering people. And then like, as the, as the stakes escalate, it's like the police will bring a freaking machine gun to a bar. It's like, and just murder people. It's like, it's a, it's a crazy thing where the stakes get higher and higher. And you see these people like your Tom's or Gabriel Byrne or John Turturro with Bernie, you see them, they're deep in the game, but Mm -hmm. they do, they do not want to resort to that next step for, for the longest time, you know? And so that's what's so wonderful about their first exchange and their later exchanges. Um, it's just who, who is willing to go that extra final violent step. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's just like the, the confidence of the filmmaking is, it's, you know, that, that's the thing with the Coens is like almost like fully formed right from blood simple is like extreme, confidence at what they're trying to achieve and their whole cohort that they surround themselves with over and over again, just, you know, you know, that's that silly meme. Like they understand the assignment, like everyone in this movie understands every assignment that they're doing. It's for whatever tone they're going for. Yeah. And what you were saying about the police, it kind of makes me think of the fact that we are dealing with organized crime and, you know, with the, um, the mafia, you have a consigliere and it's very regimented, almost like a military. Well, the police is treated like in this as sort of a military for hire. Just yes. who who's the one pulling the strings is, is yeah. basically <laughs> what's going on. There's the cynicism and the nihilism of all of the Coen brothers movies. And this one really, I think is, I think the Coens at their most philosophical early on maybe their mm. most because throughout the film they're asking tom regan you know where is your heart do you have a heart like in his dynamic with um marcia gay harden and then john Turturro, it's kind of a recurring thing that goes throughout the movie like he lets Turturro live when he asks him like to have a heart or where's your heart and then at the end the last line of the movie is i have no heart i think my yeah. yes and so yeah it's it's taking it to that next step of nihilism with the, the Coens, but yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and, but it's, it's dark, it's, but it's, it's a, beautiful. Yeah. It's a tragic, it's a tragic mm-hmm. romance. You know, when Verna walks away in that alleyway, heartbreaking, yep. heartbreaking because you know, like, especially if you get to watch it, I think the Coen brothers are extremely rewatchable filmmakers. So you can go back mm-hmm. and it's, 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 like not the first or the second, but maybe it's the third or the fourth time you get to appreciate the Buscemi as mink, like blood, like verbal diarrhea moment. You know, it's like, it yeah. takes time to notice all these things. Mm-hmm. But that moment I was just watching and I was like, Tom is head over heels in love with Verna from second yes. one. And he's betrayed that she's aligned herself to the powerful person, but he knows that that's the game and he appreciates that that's the game. And he starts to, whether it's implicitly and later on explicitly sabotage that so that he can, he can have his love. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's the thread that he tugs that like pulls down the whole tapestry of this whole town. Mm-hmm. And so that's, what's brilliant about it. Cause when, when, when Bernie's saying have a heart, he's not, he doesn't care about him living or dying. He cares about Verna and what mm-hmm. he would have, how he would be able to live with the fact that 
he's killed Verna's brother and would have to lie to her. And that's too tragic. And even in that final moment, she's like, did you kill him? He's like, no, he's going to my apartment. But he also, there's that fatalistic thing of like, I'm also taking his death out of my hands. And once she walks away, he is heartless because when she goes, his heart is gone. And so it, it, it's kind of like cynical, smart, you know, uh, nihilistic, but also so deeply romantic. It's like, that's my, mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's just my kind of cinema, but it's also like, that's, that's where I, I am so, so enamored by this movie over and over again. And like, again, Marsha Gay Harden, like what a freaking, what a rock star. Like she's just so wonderful in everything and she's beautiful she and yeah. she's, and manipulative and also just so like such a survivalist. I I can't get enough of her in this movie because she's, Mm -hmm. she knows how to play the game to stay alive and to, and to get into a position of power. Yeah. Earlier this year, I watched um, Pollock again Mm. for the Ed Harris episode and watching that and seeing what Marsha Gay Harden does. I mean, I'd seen it before, but it had been years. It's like, we really didn't value Marsha Gay Harden as she's just amazing. All the way through her career too, you know, come come up to, um, Mystic River, she's outstanding. Mm-hmm. River, um, and yeah, she's just she's just really great in like everything that she's in. And 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 in this movie, I'm just like I'm I couldn't be more in love. I'm um, completely there. But also, you know, and she's great in the morning show, the TV series. That's one I've watched recently. Yeah, and she's and she play. She's in uh, uh, Joe Lynch. Uh, did a movie for Netflix called Point Blank where she plays a sort of cold-hearted cop in it. And she's great in that movie yeah. too. She ends up kind of like stealing the whole movie from everyone. Um, but she's, yeah, really brilliant, really brilliant actor. And yeah, mm-hmm. like just crushes everything that she's in. And I love that you pointed out this is um, the Coens at their most confident because off screen when they were writing it, because the plot was so intricate and dense, they had horrible writer's block. And so, yeah, and I love that um, oddly there's a story where they talk about, oh, yeah, we were staying with a friend and we watched Baby Boom, which, you know, just kind (laughs) of tells you when this was happening. And I love the movie Baby Boom or Baby Boom. So I'm like, yay, Sam Shepard. But anyway, so they watched that and then they went off and wrote Barton Fink in like a really quick succession. So basically... In the creation of this masterpiece, we got also Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah because Totoro is just, you know, he's he's um, he's electric and he's just like, they're like, oh, he's fun. You can yeah. tell these guys are, as much as it might be cynical and hard and violent or whatever, they're like, they always seem to be having fun. Like, and, mm-hmm. and I, we're going to definitely talk about that in Departed. It's like every person in The Departed feels like they're having a ball. And I feel yes. like for the most of this movie, that's the case. Like everyone, every dialogue scene, every, you know, everyone seems like they're having such a grand old time playing this at the, that, it, that it's joyful to watch for so much of the movie before it breaks your heart. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, next up, we have a film that I unabashedly love so much. I actually programmed and hosted a film lecture, discussion, and screening of it just so I could see it on the big screen again. Based upon the graphic novel from author Max Allen Collins and illustrator Richard Piers Rayner, which was adapted for the screen by David Self, director Sam Mendes, 2002 period crime epic Road to Perdition is in my eyes a masterpiece that never got its due. A film bound to appeal to fans of the Lone Wolf and Cub film and manga series, which was said to be an influence on the graphic novel. 
the movie set in Rock Island, Illinois, during Prohibition and the Great Depression in 1931, stars Tom Hanks, Paul Newman, Jude Law, Jennifer Jason Lee, Stanley Tucci, and Daniel Craig. Playing against type, Tom Hanks is Michael Sullivan Sr., an enforcer and something of a favorite of his boss, Irish mobster John Rooney, played by Paul Newman, who looks upon Sullivan as the son he had always wanted. Double-crossed after an unauthorized shooting by Rooney's son, played by Daniel Craig, which is witnessed by Sullivan's son and namesake, Tyler yeah. Hoechlin. Sullivan's wife, Jennifer Jason Lee, and youngest boy are murdered, sending Sullivan on the lam with his son, hoping to get leverage on Rooney and others in order to save his son's life if perhaps not his own, Sullivan and the kid journey first to Chicago before they find they need to outrun a truly evil, macabre hitman and crime scene photographer played by Jude Law, visually inspired by Edward Hopper's minimalism and his atmospheric yet isolating paintings, and in my eyes, John Singer Sargent's work as well. The film was gorgeously shot by the legendary Conrad Hall, who won a posthumous Oscar for his work, a work of art with equally artful performances and enough of a true sense of mob history that it involves and openly drew upon real life figures from the era. It's a great film and I'm so glad you selected it. So what are your thoughts on Road to Perdition? I think it's easily Sam Mendes' best work. There's yes. just, from, there's yeah. for me... Um, and I know that American Beauty obviously had a splash and unfortunately because of the cast has had this kind of reflected yeah. <laughs> uh, poor, poor reputation and because of the year that it came out, um, you know, it was such an incredible year of cinema that it's just like, you know, that one winning winning all the titles and getting a lot of the accolades was, you know, reflect, you know, now we reflect on it as like maybe we were wrong. Um, but in amongst that conversation, there is never enough to say positively about the road to perdition. Um, no. I saw this movie and this was the movie. So American beauty obviously made a splash. It was a good movie. And I remember seeing this, it was at the end of high school that I saw this movie and I was instantly obsessed with it. It is such a outlandishly great film. It is so incredibly confident. Conrad Hall cinematography is incredible. Uh, yes. I, I can't get enough of the Thomas Newman score. Uh, oh, which yeah. I've just, I've been listening, actually was listening to it just before we started this chat <laughs> and it's, it's just utterly brilliant across the board. It, it's about fathers and sons and betrayal and it has all of those great dynamics and Tom Hanks and I mean, this is the movie that like, if you'd never seen a Paul Newman movie before and you see him here as, you know, John Rooney, you kind of go who is this yeah. God? Who is this King that I've never been encountered? I've never encountered before. And so I remember at the time that's like genuinely, I hadn't seen enough Paul Newman films. I think I maybe seen Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. And I, I sought out almost every film that he'd ever been in. And I watched as, as many of them as, as, as was possibly available in, in Australia at the time. And I just, I don't know, just literally everything about this movie. I love, I, I, I love the pacing. I love the staging. I love, I, I love the actors like Jennifer Jason Lee as Annie Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Such a 
phenomenal choice. Like so many times when the wife character who is absolutely based on the time, like and, and far as like sort of the prescribed gender roles of the time gets relegated to the sidelines, Jennifer mm-hmm. Jason Lee in like gazes and glances does more than some people do in whole movies. Daniel Craig, for all of his confidence so and toughness, yeah, all the confidence and toughness that you see later in his career, his petulance here, his pettiness, mm-hmm. it's he's wonderful. And Tyler Hoechlin, who now is, you know, Superman on TV um, and also so wonderful and everybody wants some uh, as well, is as a young guy really stands so tall against Tom Hanks because this maybe is one of the best Tom Hanks performances that I think, I think a lot of people sleep on Tom Hanks, even though he's like a three time, you know, two, three time Oscar winner, people sleep on his ability. And I feel like this is just another movie where people go, Oh yeah. Like Tom Hanks is kind of the best guy working, you know, most years when he gets nominated, it's like, Oh, we can't give him an Oscar every year. But like, this Mm -hmm. is one where I'm like, this is so phenomenal a performance. And, and that, that piano scene with Newman and Hanks, I, I genuinely think, it is a cinematic gift and I, I, I can't, I, if, if I ever, you know, if you, if you've ever got any kind of daddy issues, um, <laughs> this is a, not the movie for you or, or B the movie exactly for you because yeah. it's, it's, it's the, it's that kind of energy. So uh, yeah, I, I, everything you said, Jen is it's, it's so, so spot on. And I would love to see this movie again and, uh, on the big screen because it's just all kinds of special. They literally, I know they say it, it's a tired thing right now, but it's, they don't make movies like this anymore. No, this is one of those films that makes you look at cast members in a new light. Like all of a sudden it's kind of like you were talking about Tom Hanks. I think we sort of accept him and we think of like one mode, sort of like uh, our friend Jordan Harper always says in Hollywood, it's a bad idea to say um, the Coen brothers because everybody has a different idea of what that means. Like one person thinks Lebowski and another person thinks no country for old men. Tom Hanks, I think a lot of people just think the guy from big or something like that, or those funny movies. And it's like, no, there's, you know, like the the sadness and the, um, you know, just sprawling nature of his performance in A League of Their Own. And there's the sadness of Sleepless in Seattle. Like, I don't think people realize even in some of those real overly packaged movies, like what he was doing. But then you get something like this and it's a totally different mode for him. Castaway was also a different side of Hanks, uh, the Green Mile. Uh, this Captain, kind of rem- this, the the crying scene in Captain Phillips. Jesus, yes. Oh, that Jesus ending. Yeah. Jesus, talk about like leaves the audience debilitated. It's like what? Yeah, you're that, hyperventilating like, along yeah. with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I didn't realize that that's where we are, but that's where we are. You know, I, I, I look at that and I, that, that they're the feelings I get with this kind of performance. Cause it's so still, it's so controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he is simmering underneath the surface. I think that's the great, cha- great thing for him is cause a lot of people want to see him play it. He's 11. Cause it's, when he plays yeah. it serious or funny, it's really great. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 that restraint of continuing to withhold, 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 withhold um, is, is really special. And and just watching him act alongside these different people, um, mm-hmm. you know, where he's playing off uh, Danny Craig, where he's playing off Paul Newman, where he's playing off Kieran Hines, where he's playing off Stanley Tucci, where he's playing off Jude Law. It's like. It's just like rock star after rock star encounter in this movie and everything's played with such control 
that it's um that's what I I love is that you know they kind of they've just got all these great people across every role is yeah. filled. There's not there's not a a triple A lister on any of these roles. It's just like bang bang bang, and so it just flows and flows and flows. I I I really love it. Yeah, and with Hanks, it kind of reminded me of Collateral when we yeah. saw uh, yeah. Tom Cruise, another Tom, in that role. But also what I love is you get Jude Law playing just a slithering, depraved, oh. kind of like the Anton Chigurh of this <laughs> film, essentially. Yes. And um, you have Stanley Tucci breaking his rule of never wanting to play an Italian-American gangster because yeah. he doesn't like the stereotype, and I'm with him there. But, you know... He is really good. He's Frank Nitty here. And um, he decided he would, you know, he wanted to work with Sam Mendes, wanted to work with this cast. And it's perfect. Yeah. 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 And so this sort of makes you look, everything is understated. They strip back lines of dialogue. I think I saw something where like the last 20 minutes of the movie, there's like six lines, something like that. Like it's insane. And so it's not what you expect from Hanks. And I love it. Yeah. yeah, and and just you know, it's not just Hanks interacting with these people. It's the interactions. It's the interactions that happen. Like that piano scene is absolutely, yeah. you know, he's the literally the right hand of Paul Newman, and they're playing this yes. tune together. And it's watching Danny Craig's face like smile, oh. and then mm-hmm. break and see that this connection is there. Kieran Hines is wonderful, so underrated. Great to hear him with his more Irish lilt actually coming yes. out as opposed to having to do an accent all the time. But, you know, this movie is full of moments, even though there's not a lot of dialogue. But, like, Kevin Chamberlain is a phenomenal character actor who's in, like, a billion movies. He plays Frank the Bouncer when Michael has to go, you know, check on a debt, basically, or, or basically instructed um, in, instructed by Connor Rooney to go check on a debt, but it's, it's mm-hmm. an attempt at assassination. Um, and he's, you know, Kevin Chamberlain just like asking if there's a chance he can get a job. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, that is just like, ah, oh, it's just, there's just those moments in this movie that just keep coming at you and yeah. his reputation, like he never has to say how much of a badass he is or like, you know, literally Michael, the Arca- you know, Michael, the archangel of death or whatever. Yeah. Like he doesn't have to say that it's just there. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just love the reality. I love the choice of when to have the score or have dialogue or have sound and or to do yeah. slow motion, like when Connor shoots Kieran Hines' character, Finn McGovern, like in yes. the movie completely slows down because you're in Tyler Hoechlin's gaze, this young man who's like seeing death for the first time. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just really splendid. I, I you know, I, I there's just, it's too much. Like it's too, this is too much movie. You know, it's too much movie. It's too good. And it's, and for a guy who's made lots of good movies, um, Sam Mendes and a varying, you know, I, I think also a varying levels of like showiness. This yeah. is him just, it, this, this has such a level of, and, and we talked about the Coen brothers with confidence. I feel like this is Sam Mendes, like not buying into the Sam Mendes hype yet. Like, no, it's a classical, like he's using classical framing basically. Yes exactly what he did in American Beauty, which a lot of people compared to ordinary people, um, not only for subject matter, but the way it used framing and frames within frames. And this movie does the same thing, like with Tyler uh, 
Hecklin, when he first is watching his dad from afar, you know, his dad is really far. Like they have a bunch of architecture in the way or the shot is very long. I mean, he's using all these old fashioned tricks because this is a movie of what they leave in and what they leave out. And they yes. believe that less is more. And it really is. Also, you yes. get so much symbolism. I mean, you have classical, you have the, the painterly frames of, um, like he's credited Hopper. I see Sergeant. I also see when, um, they're first in Chicago and they're walking down the street with all the hats that reminded me right out of age of innocence. But I also think it's a famous painting as well. I can't remember who did it, but, also, you have so much talk about that. Talk about that production design, though. Like that yes. single shot, yeah, of all those. I don't know, yeah. hundreds of people, and Walking then down. and then hundreds of cars on yeah. that Chicago street. It's just like you know that would have been probably the most expensive shot of the whole movie, as far as being able to shut down that street and create that you know dress that many extras and take the shot and do it in slow motion and have this kind of insert that really tells yeah. you tells you what's Where going you on. It's it's brilliant, and and even the Tyler Hoechlin scene of like him, his dad leaves him in. Um, I don't know what that is with all of those pews and people sitting down. It's not a church; it's like a giant waiting room. It looks like it's like a rail, like a waiting room in in a in a, in a train station. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. where it was meant to be in Chicago, but where people are reading their paper and he's just reading his you know sort of dime store cowboy novel and he's crying because he's sort of yes. the weight of the death of his family is all coming on him. And just the guy that's sitting next to him, the extra who looks at his paper and looks at the kid crying, kind of gives him a second glance and then goes back to his paper. There's yeah. just something about that. There's not an intervention. It's not played for no. you know, the, the impact. It's just played for like, mind your business. And it, it's, yeah, it, it's really, yeah, really special. The, all, all of it is really special. Yeah. And when he's looking at the book, it's a page where um, you see the Lone Ranger with a gun. So now guns are different. They're not these like fantasy objects from, yeah, like guns have totally changed for him. But yeah, there's so much symbolism, especially uh, its use of water. Like Mm. at the beginning and the end, we see water a lot with death. Uh, Of course, my favorite sequence in the whole movie, the big shootout in the rain, which is just staggeringly great. And Yeah. 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 And again, just that lone muzzle flash, like repeat muzzle yeah. flash from the Thompson and mm-hmm. all these guys just like boom, 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 periodically going down and just John not moving. Yep. Like knowing that it's over. And I also love just the shots that really struck me in this was Connor, Daniel Craig's character, looking at his own reflection and Tyler being on the other side of the glass. And so he sees death and his reflection is just like trying to straighten himself up because he can't see him because of the darkness outside and because of the height of the different characters. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like those shots are just so great. It's just such a classic shot. Yes, it could be archetypal. Yes, if you're a bit more cynical, you're like, oh, this is rote. This is crap. But I I mean, I live for movies like this. I live Mm -hmm. for movies that are – that, that take really big themes and do them with a lot of nuance and control. And um, I also like, you know, um, our friend Jordan Harper, who's been a guest on the show many times, he goes, I don't like to do action. I like to do violence. And mm-hmm. I think that ethos or rings true for me so much in a lot of films is because like when someone gets shot in the arm in the <laughs> 1930s with like a, you know, with a bullet that like strips your arm, there's not like great medical 
no. procedures that can help you and you need time to recover and you, you know, that's, I think time also does great things in this movie because it's like people get hurt, people, people bleed, people, yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, it, a gun shooting someone is devastating. Um, nothing infuriates me more than in, you know, contemporary action film melodrama um, that people go to the cinema in swathes to see is like someone getting clipped with a bullet and they just don't even flinch. And it's just like, yeah. no, stop, stop Unless this. it's Miller's Crossing and he gets beaten <laughs> up like 40 times in one day. And it's like, yeah, you're supposed to laugh at this point. Yeah, but, yeah. That, the Mil- but Miller's Crossing is playing a different, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be- beating someone up with, with fists um, with sort of old timey punches for me is a little bit different to someone getting shot because yeah. that's like, oh, it's no, like yeah, it's, but, but I agree. Yeah, like th- that's actually played for laughs um oh so it's it, so it, funny it by like the 11th I, beating of the day you're like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're that's, like, wouldn't gabriel Byrne be dead at this point but anyway yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's got a severe concussion but we'll yeah. let that slide <laughs> maybe it'll make him a better gambler no <laughs> no but what's interesting about this one is exactly yeah violence isn't beautiful it's shocking and so the violence comes out of nowhere but also i know some of that was conrad hall and uh, yes. Hanks actually asked Mendes to kind of tone it down, like don't make it too graphic. Um, and I think, again, just like stripping down the dialogue and making the shots like essential, I think that works just as well for the violence. It makes more of a point. Yeah, you've got these, you know, I think you know, there's something to be said, even like the great auteurs, they surround themselves with their people, right? They're, they're actors and they're screenwriters and, 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 and people who are allies and like the Conrad Halls of the world. He's like, I've got a way that we can shoot this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and you listen yeah. to Conrad Hall. Oh, the absolutely. Guy shot, the guy shot Butch and Sundance. You listen to that guy <laughs> when he says that, that I've got an idea that might be better or that might help this. And I think that Hanks, you know, being the star of this movie, he has a certain level of pull and influence over what's going to happen there. So it's, it's for me, that's really special as well, that he can have that level of influence in the film because it, it just pays off. Like it's, it's, like you said, it, it looks classic, and then when you watch it now, like what is you know nineteen years later, mm-hmm. it feels like a stone cold classic. Like it just feels like all those things, and then there's all these great and wonderful choices of actors, and so it kind of feels like a throwback. It felt like a throwback at the time, but I don't know. People, I think people were sort of unfair on Mendes when this movie came out because maybe he was so critically louder with American Beauty. They just wanted American Beauty too. And I'm like, this is, you know, this guy, yeah. he actually, he makes a great trilogy of American films or actually yes, he does. quadrilogy. If you count, um, uh, oh my God, I'm going to lose it. The Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Revolutionary movie. Road. Revolutionary Road. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, but he makes Jarhead, he makes Perdition, he makes American Beauty and then he makes Revolutionary Road. Kind I of his four big American forget- films. That was Jarhead. I don't know why I forget that's Mendy's. Yeah. You know, you know why? Because all the Jarhead sequels like basically turned into First Blood Part Two, but for that's Jarhead, why. whereas whereas the first one is uh, like, you know, it's it's about it this was whole good. I just haven't seen it in ages. Yeah, I haven't seen it in ages either. And Jamie Foxx is great in it. Oh my god, yeah. that's another one. Like he's so terrific in it. But it's about that it's about this impulse and this urge to be able to want to be licensed to kill, literally mm-hmm. licensed to kill and being denied that. And so you watch these people go off their rocker, not because they're being forced to kill, but because they can't and they can't exercise this thing that they're trained to do. And so I think all three of those films are really great and, and they do so much. Um, um, they do so much, but it, you know, for me, this is out and out. Like you can look at how the films are being made later and, even something like 1917, which got so much critical praise for its 
technical achievement. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, this is just too showy. Like it's, it's it, the, the whole idea of trying to do it and yeah. to affect what they're trying to do. Gotcha. It just felt, it just feels too showy. It's like, we're trying mm-hmm. to do something. I'm like, no, like the, there is a great movie here, mm-hmm. but maybe no one had the Tom Hanks, Conrad Hall stones to be like, do we have to do it like this? Is it a Can't gimmick? We, yeah. <laughs> is it a gimmick? Can we just yeah. not make this a video game? You know? So yeah. I, I, yeah, that's why I wrote to Petition. I just, I love. And I think, man, Paul Newman is just doing so much. Mm. And Tom Hanks is doing so much in this movie. And even Jude Law and his disgusting teeth. I mean, you don't even oh see God, this guy. He's so good. Yeah. He's so good. You don't see him for like an hour. No. Um, and, and so all those choices of the pacing, you know, y- y- you know, you and I are starting to watch this and I'm knowing I'm looking out for Jude Law and then I'm looking yeah. at my watch going, wow, he doesn't even come into this movie for like so long. And, and, and just, you know, Tucci and, and, and Michael really knowing, you know, it's funny, like the control of leverage to create mm-hmm. an opportunity. That's the other thing that in Miller's Crossing, that's where I think they have a real kinship is, you know, Tom Regan, Gabriel Byrne's character is so hyper aware of leverage mm-hmm. that he's constantly in a knife's edge game, balancing his leverage between these two different powerhouses in order to survive and try and sort of achieve his love. And for Michael, he kind of vengeance is everything, like vengeance is his currency and not being able to do it because that's the code. Like he should be able to make this hit. He should be authorized to do it. And the only reason that he's not is because Connor is the person who dished it out. And John has to, in order to maintain his power, he can't let his own son be murdered. And so it's this thing of like, he's got a squabble between essentially what are two siblings Mm -hmm. and he will not let it happen. And so then that's where like, you know, Michael does that great thing of like, I'm just going to go rob all of Al Capone's money. And, uh, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna tip the scales of leverage and get permission because I ultimately know where John fits in the grand scheme of organized crime. And so that's what's kind of the brilliant thing is like it becomes a tale of like you get to learn so much about the mob leverage and where people fit hierarchically in the system, but it's all for the authority to fulfill his code. He deserves that vengeance and Connor's protected protected quantity if you like mm-hmm. um is is like the only reason why they're not able to do that and so i yeah this movie's just all kinds of brilliant yeah and i think that code also um balancing the, the issue of him being like a surrogate son to john i should say to people listening john rooney of course is based on looney uh the real life gangster but he is like the surrogate son. And so there's a lot there, but what's interesting about this is because it's based on this graphic novel that kind of came from Lone Wolf and Cub. And it made me go and like rewatch a uh, sort of vengeance on Friday. Like, <laughs> oh, I got to watch that again, but he's almost like a Ronin or a samurai. And I think that's what kind of confused some people watching this movie is they wanted more of an emotional uh, connection to the Hanks character. Plus it's Hanks. So you're like expecting you're going to have this real emotional bond. And it is emotional because it's a father and a son, but nobody's talking about their backstories or their feelings here. No, it's a man with a code. Yeah. I don't want any. No, I don't. (laughs) This is what infuriates me, Jenna. And again, I'm sorry to do this on your show just in case it causes any grief for you in the comments, but it's like, 
if I see one more fucking prequel series that has to explain a character to me, I'm going to shoot myself. Oh my myself. god! Oh, the origin of yes. Oof. I don't need to. You I don't see, need the origin of everyone. No. When you see Tyler Hoechlin's character, Michael Sullivan, Michael Jr., look at his dad, Mike, standing in the bedroom, and he takes off his coat, and he takes mm-hmm. off a gun that's under. He takes off a gun, and he and, and he and he's got a Thompson on his. I don't need a single other thing. Nope. I know this guy is one bad mofo and that's all. And it's, it's a different era. I don't need him to talk about his feelings and that piano no. scene. If you don't understand the connection between these men and their lives and this family and the reverence for John and their connection, I you don't know how it. to, I don't, I don't know how to teach you to watch movies to have feelings <laughs> like, like, and I think that that's, you know, I think, I don't know whether it's people not appreciating or being able to empathize with a younger perspective, but it's like, that's how you relate, you know, you know, that's how you related certain, certainly generationally is like yeah. you know, your, your parent or our generation I know is like definitely that. And maybe, um, you know, when we grew up, like sometimes your parents, your parents aren't necessarily talking about their feelings or how they're going that day. No. They're going about their business and you are kind of, you're, you're, you're starved. And I think that that's what Mark Sullivan Jr. is. He's starved for his dad's attention mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't understand that re- reactions. And there is that feeling for me, yeah. you know, he's like, you're more like me and I don't want you to have my life. And so Very that's, much. that's more than enough. That's like, I don't know what else. Oh, you I want. agree. <laughs> yeah. I what- no, I read the review by um, Roger Ebert today and he was pointing out the coldness and he was he brought up something really interesting though he he liked the movie gave it like three out of four if i remember correctly but he said um that this was more of a greek tragedy and these characters don't have a uh, free will they're like yes. marching towards their death and so he was comparing um this to sophocles and i believe mm. shakespeare to uh, the Godfather and saying, I prefer Shakespeare. And, you know, because you do get more free will with those characters. Like you do get moments where you see Sonny, like do his thing. And, you know, and you, you are feeling like you're seeing people improvise in the moment or change on a dime. And here it is all like premeditated uh, of what's going to happen. You never for a moment, do you think that Hanks is going to make it out? Uh, yeah. of this whole but I think story that, but it works I, so well yeah it works i think that's the yeah. that's the beautiful tragedy of michael yes. is because he has he's not a visionary no not at all and he knows he's, that yeah he's about checks and balances right yes. so like he knows i'm going to get the leverage i'm denied my code so how do i get my code and you know that yeah. it's like you know that it's almost nihilistic you know that it's fatalistic he's not going to probably make it out of there no but i i love but, Damn it, his kid will. Yeah. yeah. Michael Jr. will get out. And also the it would be like watching De Niro's face in the tunnel in heat, right? Yeah. I don't want him to go to the airport. <laughs> I, I don't know, want him to I don't, You're like, I don't want it, I don't want buddy, him to leave no. with Edie. I don't yeah. want him to leave with Edie. And that's the that's what you have to kind of accept for yourself is I don't want him to go to the airport and fly away with Edie. The tragedy go, is what makes him. Him. That's exactly right. The, the, yeah. the, the tragedy and the impulse yeah. to, to, do, to, to see this end and to see the justice as he sees fit mm-hmm. is what makes the character. And so for me, like, I absolutely, you know, how can you deny Rog? He's the greatest. I'm literally holding, uh, this book is like permanently on my desk, me just reading these <laughs> wonderful things, wonderful yeah. reviews. Um, 
but I can but, see in yeah, this I point. See, I, yeah, I see. I see that people have a preference, but for me, it's just I don't. I I. I don't know if I have a preference or not because I, I love them both. I love both those impulses. And I think mm -hmm. that they're different canvases, the different yep. canvases, and they're also different people. You know, The Godfather is a tapestry of people and it starts out focusing on Vito and and then the torch is passed to Sonny and then it's passed to Michael. And it's, yeah. so you get to get to see the impulses of those people who are controlling the family and how they react to those situations. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of mastery of um, – you know, that whole series, but I, I can't get enough. I can't get enough of this. I can't get enough. No. And I agree with you. I think one of the most interesting assignments I ever had in film school was we watched, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Kieślowski movies, um, red, white, and blue. Yeah. And, uh, we had a film professor say, okay, after we watched red, is this movie about people with free will or is everything predetermined? just write your paper and you know and they're like well what do you think and he's like i don't like who cares what i think i don't know what <laughs> i think you know and he said people are going to get a's that have both opinions just be able to back it up and so i think you can watch both these movies um like the godfather or or road to perdition of course i mean godfather's like one of the greatest movies of all time don't get me yeah. wrong it's my favorite film of all time but there's a place for all of these impulses and you can also watch those as going really did michael have free will wasn't that kind of uh premeditated as well i mean yes yeah that's a so. it's a great it's a great question it's a great question because it's like and it's also isn't vito doing the same yes. <laughs> isn't vito doing the same thing as michael senior is doing yeah exactly he sees that he sees that his son that is his most like him yeah and most calculating and most suited mm -hmm. to this needs to get away from the family so badly because if mm -hmm. he stays, he will inherit the throne. Yeah. You know? And so it's That's like he pushes him away. He pushes him away. Um, but ultimately he's the guy right yeah. from that moment where he's standing on the steps outside the hospital. He's the guy. He's the guy. Yep. <laughs> he makes that decision. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just when you think all American remakes of foreign films suck, here comes Martin Scorsese, <laughs> who in 2006 held one of his greatest movies and one of the most popular in his career, a remake of the 2002 Hong Kong crime series Infernal Affairs from directors Andy Lau and Alan Mack and starring Andy Lau and Tony Leung. Scorsese's The Departed was based upon not only that, but also the Boston Winter Hill Gang involving a corrupt Fed and the notorious Irish-American gangster and FBI informant Whitey Bulger. The Departed stars Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio as two recent Massachusetts State Police grads who take very different paths in that gray area between black and white in service of and if and or direct obstruction of the rule of law. An ambitious working class climber with a big chip on his shoulder, Matt Damon joins the prestigious Special Investigations Unit, looking into his secretive mentor, Frank Costello, played by Jack Nicholson, a dangerous and warped gangster who pays Damon to supply him with tip-offs of raids, informants, and more, while Damon's Colin Sullivan seems to be squeaky clean to the outside world. In reality, he is anything but. On the opposite side, we meet DiCaprio's Billy Costigan Jr., a highly intelligent recruit 
whom Martin Sheen's Captain Queenan and Mark Wahlberg's brash Staff Sergeant Dignan task with going deep undercover with Costello's crew, tarnishing his reputation and publicly kicking him off the force for show. DiCaprio's Costigan goes to jail for a crime and once he's out is sent to do low-level jobs with connected and or local relatives and friends until he catches the eye of Costello weaving a highly complex web of near misses and eventually a shocking confrontation between the two men, including linking them in their relationship with a police shrink who also sees criminals played by Vera Farmiga. It's an amazingly acted intense ensemble thriller that sucks me in no matter how many times I've seen it from Thelma Schoonmacher's brilliant at times symbolic and other times frenetic editing to William Monaghan's script and Michael Ballhouse's cinematography. It's another brilliantly crafted masterpiece from Scorsese and his crew. So Blake, I know you're a fan. Talk to me about The Departed. Yeah, look, this movie is just so fun. <laughs> like it it's, just, it's just a joy. And to start off, Scorsese credits, you know, Infernal Affairs, you know, Chinese cinema, Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. And he said what he, why he was even drawn to it was that William Monaghan picked this up as a basis and dropped it into Boston and then brought, because Monaghan himself is a Bostonian, he basically then added all of this local color. So that's, I yeah. guess, was the whole in, in instigation of this thing was to pick up the ethnospecificity of like uh, ethnospecificity of the Irish mobster as opposed to a Chinese mobster as opposed to an Italian mobster mm -hmm. and bring it into town. And he said, Scorsese really said it was two things. It was not only William Monaghan's great script and great adaption of this material, but it was the stranger than fiction, true to life stuff that actually happens it was happening in Boston and had happened in Boston that was yeah. like, it kind of gave them license. Like it, no matter how many times they looked at some of the more uh, outlandishly violent or like crazy things that happened in the script and in the adaption, there was literally re true to life examples of things that had happened in the Irish mob there in the sort of seventies and eighties and up into the nineties before people started getting indicted with the, with the Whitey Bulger, um, I guess, the, the, the whitey bulger dynasty if you want to call it and mm -hmm. that that kind of was like this is all anchored in truth and so when you then get you know martin scorsese boston william monaghan and then you go jack nicholson and you go martin yeah. Sheen, and you go alec baldwin and then you obviously get leo and matt damon and mark Wahlberg and james Dale and just everyone yes. every it's it's like you get this Ab and Vera Farmiga, um, probably the oldest woman who's ever been in a sex scene with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, but <laughs> it's, it, it's one of those outlandishly great, specific, entertaining, uh, and, you know, dark operatic things. And, and the rise and fall, I mean, I don't really feel like the rise ever gets to a great rise in this movie. It feels like it's, you know, obviously there's so much going on, but I just remember the, the technical competence, the specificity, the, the tone of the performances, um, uh, in the sort of like 
screener screenwritery brilliance of Monaghan at his very very best in my opinion um I just I can't get enough of this movie Jen so when you were like we'd originally talked to talk about Perdition and, and Miller's Crossing in this yeah. and you're like hey like look, should we add The Departed like that's like saying you know hey you know I know you're watching Heat but should we also watch Apocalypse Now and No Country for Old Men and I'd be like <laughs> yeah we should yeah. like yeah we should because these are great movies um and I, I just love I love everything about this movie because it is, it is, you know, Scarface, you know, it, 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 it is, um, it, it, it is a story about the rise and fall. And, um, it, it is just, it's just a stunning piece where Scorsese gets to sort of portray his influences. He also gets to commentate on the genre as some of his best films do. And it gets to be, you know, gruesome and people meet their bloody end and nothing is glamorous or glamorized. And, uh, um, as, as uh, I think it's actually one of those movies that, in, unlike Goodfellas, which has a glamour in amongst it the does. violence, yeah. this doesn't. This is this, this is, is really ugly. Yeah, it's <laughs> ugly from minute one. Like none of it feels great. No. You know? like there's a, there's a few great scenes of you know Matt Damon's Colin flirting with Vera Farmiga in a in an elevator, and that's like that's it. That's like the sunshine <laughs> of this movie, or like threatening to shoot a dessert at a dinner table at a French restaurant. Whereas the rest of it is like masculinity, bluster, clashing personalities, um, and the really highly strung, unhinged kind of, I don't know, the, the kind of like byproduct of doing insanely high stakes undercover operations where you, where, where you literally, there's that wonderful scene with Vera Farmiga and Leonardo DiCaprio. And I, I genuinely think this is his best performance of any Scorsese movie. And I know, I, the agree. Wolf of Wall, yep. I know that Wolf of Wall Street is great. Okay. I fucking love I'm the I'm with of Wall you though. This. I, but this, when yeah. he sits at that table and he's like, when you sit across from a mass murderer and your heart rate is jacked, he's like, My hands steady. My hands are yeah. steady. Oh God. And I'm like, that that is this movie because you are your heart rate is jacked and we ha- we sit steadily in the safety of our seat at home. But I mean every person in this movie is having too much fun for the material like jack nicholson's costel frank costello he's mm-hmm. fucking outstanding in this movie or alec baldwin like oh. shouting patriot act yes <laughs> patriot act yes. just like shaking people and oh. mark Wahlberg, like from the moment i've never liked oh. mark Wahlberg as much as you do in this movie you're like he's such uh. an asshole but he's oh, he- so good. And there was this joke on Twitter I saw, like, I've never been that excited to see Mark Wahlberg <laughs> show up in a movie before, except the end of The Departed. And it's like, yeah. absolutely. Yes. But all of The Departed, he's wonderful because he's he just is. like, he's, he's yeah. constantly trying to break Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Billy. And like the top quote on IMDb. He fucks with all of them. Yeah. He fucks with everyone. The top quote on IMDb for this movie is Ellaby. So it is actually um, uh, Alec Baldwin's character. He's like, I'm going to have a smoke right now. You want to smoke? You don't smoke? Yeah. What are you? One of those fitness freaks, huh? Go fuck yourself. Like yeah. this movie, like I could watch those scenes yeah. and him shake people how positive the Patriot Act is like a million <laughs> times. I, I, like, yeah. It's bananas. Um. Look, and it's always the conversation that's going to happen every time you encounter a Scorsese movie. Like one of my favorite interviews is like a red carpet interview with Matt Damon, I think on the Oscars going in to see, uh, going in to the Oscars that uh, The Departed ultimately wins Best Picture. Um, going into the Oscars and, you know, someone had said something to him on the red carpet interview like, oh, so, um, you know, The Departed is looking like a favorite tonight. Like are you, that you know, Mark Scorsese, he goes, he's like, listen, 
it's great. Like it's a great movie and I'm so proud to be in it. He goes, but it's no Raging Bull. Like it was even <laughs> the guy, he's like, Martin Scorsese made Raging Bull. Like what are yeah. we even doing? Like what are we even doing here? You know what I mean? Like yeah. if this guy hasn't won an Oscar, what's going on? But he's like, I remember that great interview of like this guy knows, like everyone in this movie knows like how un- the unfat. Yeah, the unfathomable pressure of working mm-hmm. with Martin Scorsese when he's made some of the greatest American films ever and going, oh, this is a great movie. He's like, yeah, but like in degrees of greatness, it's not Raging Bull. And look, fucking yeah. not many movies are Raging Bull. Oh, so it's God, a really, no. it's a really impossible thing to put up. But is it hell, like, is it overwhelmingly entertaining? Yes. Is it absolutely um, entertaining? Infinitely rewatchable for those yeah. reasons. Yes. And it's, is it really ugly and disgusting violence? Yes. But, and, and but, Man, you mentioned a lady's name at the beginning of the show, which is Thelma Schumacher, who who does God-tier work in this movie. It is yeah. an incredibly dense, broad, multi-character portrait of a city, and the dynamism of the direction and the pacing of this movie, it doesn't even give you a breath at no. almost any point in the movie. One of my favorite things, and every single time I watch it, I wind up pausing it just to double check. It is 19 minutes of a prologue before we even see the title. And it's just like, that is badass. You know, there's that great quote with Thelma Schoonmacher of, you know, when somebody asked her about what is it like making all these violent movies and they're not violent until I cut them, you know? (laughs) And so, yeah, she's doing beautiful things with violence in this movie. And everyone is, I mean, Jack Nicholson is on a different plane here. Like there is like unhinged and then there's whatever Jack Nicholson is doing in this movie. (laughs) And like the scene in the adult movie theater with uh, Matt Damon is like, where did this come from? Every time you see his character, it's like we're in a different movie. And I think the movie has a lot of fun with that. He's also the guy they use, like the technical mastery you always think of with Scorsese, especially his use of music. Patsy Cline is used for some odd reason throughout (laughs) the film, but like only when we see the Jack Nicholson character. I started to think what that's about. And I think it's just because he doesn't fit into this environment and neither does she fit in with any of this. (laughs) Scorsese sometimes will use, like we hear... um, me shelter and we'd heard that song before in other Scorsese pictures sometimes he will use music to comment on the way he's used music in the past we saw it in the Irishman yeah I just think yeah this movie is technically stellar it is one of the most entertaining Scorsese pictures there there is no it isn't Raging Bull but guess what you don't want to watch Raging Bull every day no, I can watch this so much more frequently than you can oh, watch Taxi yeah. Driver because those movies uh, have an emotional toil. Yes. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's the other thing is that he's such a brilliant filmmaker that so many of his films do really hit you in mm-hmm. a way that like takes some, it takes some recovery, right? You feel like Jake yeah. Lamotta uh, in the ring um, after you watch Raging Bull, like you, you're a bit battered and bruised and it's, but this is just a joy. Like, I, I mean, I know it's dumb to say a joy in a movie where like people are murdered left, right and center <laughs> hands are being cut off and give this to his wife. And she doesn't seem so sentimental. Um, and like, you know, just, it's just, you know, it's, it's unhinged and it's brilliant. And I think I also love Martin Scorsese has so rarely gotten to work with 
these big, brilliant people like, you know, Al in the Irishman and Jack in this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. he lets Al do Al in a way and he lets Jack do Jack in a way that like, there are other people who kind of fall in line with what the role is. And then some people he's like, no, I need you to do extra. And, 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 and so Jack is doing extra. And that's why Ray Winston's Mr. French is such a delight because you know, even though he does have to talk and he has to interact with other people in 90% of the scenes, it is his like kind of glacial and kind of smug calm at Jack's nonsense and outlandish behavior. Yeah. Complete antithesis. That is just so, so brilliant. Um, and just, I don't know. It's so perverse, but like here, he's like, he's like, I thought my wife, he's, he's, he goes, you're one in a million. You're one in a million. French and he's like one in 10 million and he goes and he goes what about your wife like it's just such it's like yeah. oh, I thought she, I thought she was and then you just see a moment where Ray Winston like throttles her it's like it's it's I don't know this movie is just great and I know it's perverse and I know it's bad and and whatever and some of the content is awful however um, it's supposed to be questioning toxic masculinity like even the scene in the elevator with Matt Damon he's an asshole yeah, like his uh, braggadocio and his bravado with Vera Farmiga. I mean, this movie is commenting on masculinity in really interesting ways. I read something. Um, I haven't read the full article yet, but I guess Jim Emerson, who is Roger Ebert's old editor, raised this interesting uh, hypothesis, which is, I guess, Whitey Bulger was bisexual. And he raised the question of, is Jack playing that and is he bringing that and also is his relationship um with matt damon and is matt damon's character latently homosexual too because there is a question of he's having issues with his sex life and impotent uh impotence with uh veer from riga we think it's because of the pressure but you know in that lens with somebody else um guiding you to it you're like yeah and there is enough weirdly um also, Emerson brought up the whole Catholic Church thing, like uh, Jack oh. has it out for the priests. And, well, like, Kristen, Dal- yeah. Kristen Dalton's Gwen has that great line of like, yeah. he's like, he's like, I'm getting a bit rowdy, like all that talk of assholes and sniffing and yes. stuff like that. And he goes, you shut your fuck. Like that reaction is so like. Primal. Yeah. yeah. It's a really primal and it's really rage filled and it's really like plaguing on his insecurities and that weird tormented relationship that they have with one another. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 there's just, there are a lot there's, of details in this movie. There's something yeah, going on. There's and, something going on. Yeah. And look, and it is a big homoerotic exercise. Like every time like Alec Baldwin punches someone and gets in their face or like yes. Leo, Leo <laughs> fights Mark Wahlberg, there's a lot of this like latent like energy. And I, I think that that's, that's true to this kind of blustery life of like, you know, oh, that's yeah. how people, that's how they interact. These hyper-masculine guys mm-hmm. love to play around with homoeroticism to whether it's a joke or whether it's, you know, it's, it's kind of implicit, you know, um, it's, it, it's, it's, I, I like that. I, I, I mean, that might say something about my personality, but I like the truth oh, of it yeah. because it feels like they're real people um, yep. that are doing this kind of nonsense. And so it all fits, but. Yeah, I just this this is just great. I mean, David O'Hara, who plays Fitzy, um, again is one of those examples that we talked about, like Gabriel Byrne's character from Miller's, which is like a fresh off the boat Irish guy, or you see mm-hmm. these people from Ireland and immediately ingratiate themselves into this community because they're around familiar people, and 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 then you get Jack Costello, like to that one guy who let this IRA motherfucker in my bar. <laughs> it's just yes. like holy shit, it's I so hostile, know. so great. 
It's so yeah. wonderful. Oh, there is so much going on in that movie. I also love how Scorsese, I mean, everyone knows he's a total movie buff. He plays on, um, just like Miller's Crossing did, you know, old gangster movies of the past, the, the use of the rat imagery, which is really highly cont- contested, but it's a movie about a rat trying to sniff out other rats. Everybody's a rat in this movie and everyone, yeah, it's the whole point of the film. And so there's people like, they're like, it's a little too much, but there's plays on old movies. I love that about uh, Scorsese. You see a little bit of Scarface, a little bit of Public Enemy. There's just so much. Yeah, fun. Scarface, Public Enemy. Oh, they're all there. All these like key yeah. influences. But I love the rat. Like I think like me too. Jack yeah. Jack is sniffing like a rat. Jack's doing he sketches is. with rats. It's like he's it's it's obsessed. Like it's obsessed with it, and it's also like. That that great moment where Matt Damon and James Badge Dale post the rugby game and with the cops versus the firefighters, um, you know, go get a you know, go save a kitten from a tree, yes. and like, and he's look, but he looks at the 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 uh that famous building in Boston with the gold dome, and like yeah. it's like the, it's like the world is yours. It's like that neon mm-hmm. sign spinning, and it's right there. It's there to look at. And it, like the imagery is right there from the beginning, and also with all the X's that happen, just like Scarface yes, around the death I scenes. Love the symbolism of the, the, the X's. The, the symbolism is just there, but it's also, I don't know whether it's me getting a bit older, but like nothing that's on the nose like that, if it's effective, do mm-hmm. I have any problem with whatsoever? I'm like, no. this is great. Like yeah. it should, if they're if they're doing an homage. He's not going to say I'm not stealing. He's like I'm doing an homage. This is called yeah. an homage. This is me showing how much that those those films influence me, and that's what's great about Scorsese is like you know people who talk about glamorizing gangsters mm-hmm. um, have never seen the end of a Scorsese movie. They've just watched half no. of it and turned yeah. it off. <laughs> um, so it's it's one of those yeah. things where he's he's so brilliant and uh, the technical brilliance and the film knowledge that's permeating through everything. Um, it, it's just there and they want it. They want to, they're playing it for that and it's intentional. And I love the intentionality and I, I love the rat. Like I, people are like, oh, it's a perfect movie except the rat. I'm like, shut up. Are you telling I me yeah. that the one rat is the one thing that you don't like? You know, stop, please. Yeah. My one issue and no, Blake, it is not the rat is I do wish because I love your Farmiga. I wish yeah. they'd given her more to do. That's the one thing. Um, one thing, I love the Infernal Affairs trilogy. It's mm. wonderful. Good I movies. love it. I haven't seen them in a long time, actually. Yeah. I'm hoping that Criterion will release them because they're just brilliant. But one thing I love about this is it seems like they're drawing on a bunch of the films. I don't know if all three had come out by the time this was made or maybe just the first two. But there are some aspects of the second one that are definitely in this. So mm. I was okay when they talked about, oh, we're going to make you know three, just like they did. And when they said they weren't, it's like, no, I think, yeah, you got to leave it at that. But in, you leave it at that. Yeah. In the yeah. Hong Kong one, there were more female characters. So I did think, you know, just having the one and I mean... Yeah, there's Gwen, but you know, as far as like a main character, yeah, or there was main, more room. To, yeah, they they left themselves with more room to play with, and I think yeah. that Scorsese really, when he wanted this to go, when he wanted it to go to hell for Frank, um, yes. he makes it go to hell. <laughs> you know, like it goes oh, yeah. to the extremity, 100%. and and at the time it was so shocking, and people were like affronted, like maybe we wanted a more traditional, hopeful ending but it's like no that the, there's only one way mm-hmm. only one way out for this 
Yeah. There's only one way out. And so that's the the brilliance of this movie, I feel, is like the dedication to the rise and fall in those in the same way as those films like Scarface that we talked about, the original Scarface, yeah. the 30s one. Um, that That's the... That's the genesis of this, you know, the engine of this movie is Scorsese's um, obsession with the rise and fall, you know, and mm-hmm. like it, even even Billy has that line, you know, people are always rising and falling in America. Yeah. And then he like, and he's like, who, who wrote that? Hawthorne is like, don't you know any Shakespeare? God yeah. bless Mark Wahlberg, right? Like it's just, <laughs> it, it's just, it's so good. It's, it's, it's really, you know, uh, entertaining as hell. And, you know, there's whole, like, I love movies and I know that you do too, Jen, of, when you really watch them, you can just watch a character. Like you feel like you're oh just gosh. like, yep. just watch a single person and try and, and get into their head. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't help. I, I try and start with some characters and then I see Alec Baldwin's Ellaby uh, and I, I just get distracted because he's a yeah. joy. I could watch 10 movies with that character. Like he's so stupid and great. I know. But, uh, but, and you know, that's, that's the thing. Um, they they loved him doing that role and he loved being in the film and and yeah he's just one of those guys who's also just having a complete ball playing this character. Oh, you can tell, yeah. And the father and son issues. There's so much going on in the film. Like the more you watch it, the more you're thinking. Well, okay, there was Queenan and Costigan. There's um, you know Frank and Sullivan, but then there's also Ellerby. There's there's a lot of these uh, parallels going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. One of those. The more you watch, um, do you have any favorite scenes? Um, I do like. I love when the microprocessor scene. Um, that's one of my. Oh favorites. my god! That I think is one of like, Thelma shines there, and Scorsese. Just the amount of tension they can ratchet in in sending a text message. Yep. And 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 the you know the text message scene and and those, that that and probably Leo in. In Vera Farmiga's office, oh yeah, is just so special, and just the the other, I don't know, for the imagery and the playfulness, and where your protagonist and antagonist meet. Surprise! I like movies where that happens. Um, <laughs> Martin Sheen, uh, Martin Sheen, Mark Wahlberg, and Jack meeting on that pier when he gets off the phone to Colin, and then they talk about you know, you guys picked up some, you know, microprocessors for toasters or whatever. And then he walks yeah. off with the little girls and the nun in their habits um, with Gwen uh, onto the ferry in Boston. I love that scene because it's so like everything's there, like everything's out in the open at that point. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I just can't get enough of it. It's and, and, and also for real, uh, craft nerds there's the the other shot i love there's a split diopter shot between colin and vera famiga's character in the apartment when he's taking orders um when he's taking orders from frank and she's looking at him and he's like oh that was you know i that's someone who works for me and she's like no it wasn't like that 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 scene she can you're lying she can tell and so yeah i i they're probably my favorite scenes in the movie yeah i think mine of course it's probably like too basic but i'm basic i love you are not based you're not um leo and matt damon with the phones where he calls oh Oh, my god every time i can watch this movie like you know a hundred times and every time it just you know you're not breathing at that moment you're basically (laughs) like dicaprio like grab your shit you gotta go like come on (laughs) get out of here 
Yeah, and I also love the scene just for um, the wordlessness. I mean, you're hearing yeah. dialogue, but you're hearing old dialogue of uh, Farmiga uh, playing the recording. So she knows now what was in that scene you were just mentioning. Yes. Uh, what was going on on the other end was when she gets that, you know, um, CD basically from Costigan and is playing it and then grabs her headphone jack out of the thing and Damon hears it. And oh my God. Yeah. That scene always kills me too. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a great movie. And like, I could watch it again. Yeah. Out of uh, talking I, about like, it now, I'm like, I gotta go watch it. No, I could put it on. Yeah, that yeah. 19 minute first sequence is just electric as well. Mm -hmm. I'm asking when you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? And then that Jack eyebrow, and you're like, oh, I love this movie. Let's I go. Know. Let's watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, obviously, these are the three we chose for this episode, but there are undoubtedly other great Irish mob tales out there to enjoy. We're not going to talk about Black Mass, of course, because that was awful. Speaking of Whitey Boulder, but uh -huh. do you have any others you would like to recommend, Blake, or anything uh, similar to these movies that you think people no, should check out? No, I think the Infernal Affairs trilogy is great. Like, dive into Hong Kong cinema because there is, yeah. um, you know, I think the different ethno-specific things, you know, we, a lot of people when, you know, in an Australian context and an American context, we talk about um, Italian mobster cinema as like the, the great sort of family yeah. organized crime thing. So I love that there's Irish, but yeah, dive into other cultures because I, I think that those unique takes on that and even um, something like Gamora, uh, which is an, an Italian oh, mobster one. tale. Yeah. Um, but, and, Italy-based Italian mobster tale as opposed mm -hmm. to an American-specific. Um, I love that because of the nuance of, you know, different towns and different villages and, you know, they almost feel like they're war-torn in a way because there is kind of no option but for you to get into this life, so to speak, and then how that then plays out with, you know, this almost like combative um, mentality of the the different individual cultures that you're facing there. So Gamora is mm -hmm. a really great one, but yeah, I, I think just dive all across the board. Like go to find find your gangster movies from other films. But yeah, if my my two recommendations would be just like headlong into Infernal Affairs and then Gamora are two good ones for little variants. But yeah, I like playing with all the different kinds of them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna add uh, City of God. Oh, as another brilliant. one yeah. great one yeah from brazil so yeah just explore other cultures other <laughs> other cinema as well but this was so much fun to discuss irish mob movies i want to thank you so much blake for doing this thank you for having me of thank course. you for having me back and and um it's you know it's a show i listen to regularly i'm currently uh, adorning my watch with jen shirt, shirt. Yes. got the shirt I'm a fan. I love all the people you talk to. Um, and I love this show because, uh, you know, it just feels like it feels like the movie features that I want to read all the time, but in a podcast, Jen. So I'm so proud of you. And uh, I love this show. And thank you so much for having me back. Thank you so much. You're my inspiration. So it's always good to have <laughs> you back. <laughs> Thanks, Blake. And before I go, I just want to thank everyone for listening to the episode. And if you want to be like Blake and pick up a Watch With Jen t-shirt, complete with a logo designed by the wonderful Kate Gabrielle. You can be sure to visit my website at filmintuition.com and click on the shop link, which will lead you right to Kate's Threadless store. More designs and styles will be coming soon. Also remember, you can like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Doing so will help other film lovers discover Watch with Jen and is so appreciated. And if you'd like to go the extra mile, you can support this podcast by joining my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, which goes a long way with other donations and other patrons to keeping this show running and keeping me in current technology. So I just want to thank you for listening, telling others about it, looking for merch online, joining my Patreon at patreon.com filmintuition, or just interacting with me on Twitter when you hear an episode. I greatly appreciate it. I wish all of you and yours a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.